Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Career Quest Podcast. My name is Michael Bonadio, and thanks for listening. Another great career quest today is with Madeline Lesser Novak. You're going to hear about her trip to Copenhagen as study abroad, as well as working there for a year, working with many different nonprofits, and her concept of impact. I really hope you enjoy. There's a lot of great insight. As a heads up, you're going to hear some slight banging in the background. Madeline lives in, in New York. It's a busy place with a lot of construction, so you're going to hear a little bit throughout the background. Thank you so much for being here today with me. I'm really excited to hear about your career quest and to learn a little bit deeper into the decisions you've made and why. But before we start, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Michael. My name is Madeline Lesser Novak. I am so happy to be here with you today. Thanks for the invitation. Um, a little bit about my background. I am a Muhlenberg alum. I graduated in 2010, which dates me a little bit more than <laughs> feels normal. Um, since Muhlenberg, I have spent some time in Copenhagen immediately after college. My journey took me there. And then I came back to New York. I expected to travel more abroad and live in different places, but I've been in New York since 2011. And I have called New York home for the past, um, you know, 12 years, I guess, at this point. And I have worked in various nonprofits. And now I have taken over the past year a little bit of a different turn in my career, which I know we will dive much more deeply into and I'm very excited to share more about my journey and um, potentially hopefully offer some insight into others that they might be able to learn from me. You kind of just outlined all of my different questions so that's kind of a cool little intro. (laughs) (laughs) So before we even ask anything about your career, before we go abroad into Copenhagen, Before you started your career quest, were you prepared or ready? That's a really good question. And I think the simplest answer is just no. No, I was not prepared for it. I think at the time that I graduated Muhlenberg, I was so hopeful about the world and the impact I could have on the world. My classes, my teachers, the world and the bubble that we're in at Muhlenberg made me just so, so starry eyed. And I felt like, oh, this is just going to be wonderful. I'm going to now go out into the world and I'm going to take everything I've learned and everything that I've prepared over the past four years and my drive and my energy and my passion, and I'm going to make change. And I think I have made change, but I didn't necessarily know exactly how I was going to do that the types of change and the types of impact that I actually wanted to change and, and, and do, I guess. Um, and so in terms of being prepared for where my journey would actually take me, no, but I don't know that anyone could be. No one knows what's going to happen. I mean, no one could have predicted COVID would have changed the world the way it did. But uh, you talked about the mule and bubble. That I don't know if Mulan Bubble was a thing when you were there, but we always called it that. And I always felt like, oh, I can change the world because the school's so small. Where if you change something there, it's like, oh, it'll be easy. I'll just change the world. Like, this is easy. And then you get into the real world. You're like, this is not as easy. <laughs> Absolutely. I, yes, the Mulan Bubble, that's exactly what we called it. And I think when you were in that bubble and you're surrounded by like-minded people for the most part, and you're grappling with case studies and history and analyzing it from, you know, 10,000 foot views, it's easier to be analytical. It's easier to be academic about what it is that we as individuals think we might be able to do and, and how we want to go about having that impact and what role we can imagine ourselves playing. I think that's a big thing for me over the past several years or so is figuring out and 
accepting that what I may have imagined my role was going to be and where I've actually ended up, they're not necessarily the same, but that's not something to mourn, right? It's actually something to realize that you as an individual grow over time. And, and if you didn't grow over time, there might be, <laughs> there might be more of a problem there than, than, than we may have anticipated. <laughs> Your goals and aspirations as an 18, 19 year old are very different when you're 26, 27. If they're the same, you might just be the perfect person or something went right. perfectly <laughs> right for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You, you, as your journey and as your career quest, as your life evolves, I think you realize more and more what your priorities are, both in your career in your passions and for your family and your, your um, work-life balance. Talking about goals, aspirations, and all the things you have now, one of them I'm guessing in college was that you wanted to go abroad. So junior year, you decided to go to Copenhagen. Why did you decide to go abroad instead of just staying in your comfort zone at Muhlenberg? Great question. My mom, she went to England when she studied abroad in college. So I had grown up knowing that she had done that and always dreaming about that time when I was in college that it would be my turn to go abroad. I had spent a little bit of time abroad prior to college, not much, just on family vacations or things like that. But I was so, so excited uh, because not just from my mom and my own experience being abroad, but friends that had been at Muhlenberg and went abroad as well. So I had a lot of models of people who had done that before me. And I had actually wanted to go to Paris. Uh, Paris is my favorite city. I actually have some family there. But Muhlenberg required that I... I think I had to have been a French major or minor and I wasn't. So, you know, working with the study abroad office, we figured that based on my major, which was international affairs um, and what was available to me, that Copenhagen was a really great option. I actually didn't even, this is so embarrassing. I was an international affairs major and was like, where's Copenhagen? So I actually had to figure that out. And I thought, okay, how cool is this? Copenhagen, Denmark, nobody goes to Copenhagen, Denmark. I get to, you know, I pride myself on doing things differently. Um, and so that really felt like it fit with my identity. Uh, so I was really excited. And friend of, a very good friend of mine, Nick Phelan, was going as well. So it all really fell into place. And I was really excited to go. Um, I decided to go in the spring. I even contemplated going for an entire year. And Studying abroad, I mean, I think really wrote so much of, you know, especially my year after college. Um, that experience was so positive and I knew that I wanted to go back and I had the chance to have that job at Danish Institute for Study Abroad in my year after college, which was really the best first job I think anyone could dream of. And I did always think that I would continue to travel the world and work abroad. Um, it didn't necessarily pan out that way, but I feel very grateful to have had that initial year abroad. And I think that's really influenced my ability to work across different cultures and even language barriers. Uh, you know, Danes actually often speak English better than <laughs> Americans do, um, but definitely the different cultures, because I worked not only with Danes, but with folks from all around Europe and internationally at DIS. So that really exposed me to more than just the Danish culture, the Danish environment, but to really the world at large and sort of a microcosm. Wait, you're saying Americans don't speak the best English? What? <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> we actually do not. <laughs> you touched on this a little bit, but I kind of wanted to ask you point blank, what was the biggest impact it had on you personally as well as professionally? Personally, living abroad was both as a student and then my, my year after college when I was 22. It forced me to grow up, right? I think it was the first time I really needed to budget. It was the first time I needed to cook fully for myself. It was the first time I had to really time manage all of the things that 
I wanted to get done both professionally and personally living abroad. I think Muhlenberg, you establish good time management skills in a microcosm of an academic environment. That's pretty straightforward once you get it down. It's not easy to do when you're a freshman. I definitely struggled with it my freshman year. But once you get that down, you, you sort of understand what you're doing and you have four years to, to perfect it. That first year abroad, I was away from my family. I was away from everything I knew and needed to not only navigate growing up and being an adult and budgeting and financing and paying for an apartment and being able to travel and um, be successful at a job in a completely new environment um, was, was really gratifying. And when I came back and wanted to live in New York, it wasn't a question of whether I could do that or not. I had already done it. So I think that was really, really a huge positive impact for my confidence as a, as a person, as a human, as an individual. The biggest impact I think working in Copenhagen had for me on my professional development and career was solidifying that I wanted to work in a nonprofit environment. I have always been driven to have impact and we can dive deeper into this as well, but wanting to have impact is so broad, right? What is the impact that you want to have and how are you going to have that impact? That has been a red thread throughout my entire career, has been a question that burns on my brain every single day of my life. And I think working at DIS, I realized that working at a nonprofit is so incredible because you get to have impact in so many different areas. I, as a program assistant, worked with students, I worked with faculty members, I worked with the broader school as a whole. And I was able, throughout my daily experiences, have impact on every person, every body's life um, and their experience at DIS and through DIS. So I got to help students have a really great experience. I got to answer their questions and help them navigate and guide through living abroad and studying abroad. I got to help professors think through their curriculum for the semester. How can we better improve our study tours abroad? What are our students looking for? How can we better help them infiltrate the, the, the sort of Danish society? How can we help them in six months have an incredibly transformative experience? And then as a school as a whole, how can I, as both an American and also someone working at DIS, help them think strategically about growth. And I know over the past 12 years or so, 13 years since, since I've been in the professional environment, that for me, having impact, there are so many ways to have impact. And being able to see the results of your work in various different ways is something I require. I need that. I need a lot of positive reinforcement. I need to know that the work I'm doing is making other people's lives better. And to be able to do that on a whole variety of different scales and levels is really gratifying to me. And, and I think that time at DIS and in Copenhagen solidified for me that a nonprofit environment is going to be the route that will be fulfilling for me into the future. You mentioned earlier that we could dive deeper into impact and what it means, but can you tell us exactly what making an impact means to you? And from that, how do you ensure that the next job you get is going to fulfill that requirement? Over the course of my career, my notion of impact has changed. So I mentioned earlier that I left Muhlenberg really starry-eyed, really dreamy, really idealistic about the type of impact I wanted to have. And for me at that time, when I was 21 or 22, I envisioned impact as me, boots on the ground, in the field, in places around the world where marginalized and vulnerable populations needed assistance whether it was humanitarian assistance, whether it was assistance in ensuring that their voices were heard at the state level, at the, at the federal level, helping people who sort of at the time, what I would say were sort of quote unquote 
voiceless, we've sort of evolved our, our way of talking about marginalized people since then. Um, but people who just needed, needed more of a platform and being the person to actually be in the midst of all of that and helping them on the ground. So I had an opportunity when I worked at Rainforest Fund to travel to Brazil and meet with the indigenous population that we were supporting in securing their land rights. And it was an incredible opportunity. I value so much the work that boots on the ground folks have. But I realized that in that moment, boots on the ground, you have one particular type of impact, which is incredible. But I realized that I wanted to more so understand and have a broader perspective of why it is that we need people to have boots on the ground. What are the policies that construct a scenario where we need international folks coming to other countries to help them secure their lands, to secure their rights? What are the policies that foster that kind of situation? So I understood it from an intellectual level, right? From coming from Berg, we study this all the time, but I wanted to understand it from a professional level. And so from Rainforest Fund, I was looking for a job at an organization that focused on policy and focused on human rights and, and the environment. And so that led me to working at Environmental Defense Fund. I took a development job there. At the moment, when I was considering that job, I thought, I, do I really want a development job? I don't want to ask people for money. I'm terrified of asking people for money. But what I realized, if you recall from earlier in our conversation, I knew that the nonprofit sector was where I wanted to be. And I knew that if I were going to be successful in the nonprofit world, and I wanted to work my way up even to potentially being an executive director of a nonprofit, I would need to know how to fundraise. So that was a very conscious choice of making that role and shifting over to development at EDF. And I didn't necessarily expect to have the type of impact that I ultimately had. Through development, through major gifts at EDF, I realized that nonprofits, or I, it was crystallized for me how important funding is for nonprofits, right? They exist only because of the funding that they have from individuals, from institutions, from government. And through that job, I so valued the type of impact I was able to have. I was able to help our program staff have the funds that they needed to secure to help indigenous people in the rainforest to secure their lands. I helped, you know, fisheries um, have the funds they needed to help communities around the world to secure their fishing rights and establish a sustainable um, fishing environment. I was able to help our health colleagues to lobby the government to ensure that we have the correct standards in place when it comes to toxic chemicals and making sure that they're not in the products that we use every day. And then on the other side of it, I was able to have impact and help donors achieve their goals, their philanthropic goals. It is so satisfying to be able to be at that liaison between nonprofits and individuals to achieve goals sort of on both sides of the, of the coin. And so I think as I'm talking this through, I'm sort of realizing, right, that impact changes and the type of impact that I've been able to have has evolved as my career has evolved. And when I was looking to transition from EDF, I actually wasn't looking to transition from EDF. I loved my fundraising job. I anticipated being there for many, many years, but the opportunity came to my lap through Freewell. And what inspired me to take that job here at Freewell which in, it's a completely different role than fundraising, um, but I work with nonprofits. It's a, it's a sales job. And I help nonprofits team them up with uh, technology to help them raise more funds. And when we talk about impact, I didn't anticipate leaving EDF. I loved my fundraising job there. I anticipated being there for many, many years. But when the opportunity to learn more about free will and have a, have a new opportunity to help nonprofits raise more funding through new technologies 
and approaches to plant giving in particular, I was inspired. I thought to myself, there's so much money that is required to solve the biggest challenges of our time, especially coming from Environmental Defense Fund. We're so focused on climate change. The deepest passion in my heart is solving inequities, um, helping marginalized, vulnerable minority populations. There's so much money that's required there. And what I saw in Free Will was the scalability of fundraising. And when you think about impact, I don't know what greater mechanism there is right now to scale that impact, to scale the amount of money necessary to solve these problems. And so if I think about where I started at 22 and thinking about the impact I wanted to have its boots on the ground, that is not where I am right now, but that's not necessarily what I would want to be doing right now. So I think one of the quotes that resonates for me when I think about my career, when I think about the future of my career, is to let go, hold space, appreciate, but let go of the ideas and the idealistic notions I had when I was younger for the opportunities that I have allowed myself to grasp, to capture, to lean into when I have had a choice to make. I think that is so important for young people to realize and to take to heart is that young people, as if I'm not still young, I'm still young, <laughs> but this idea that have your goals, have your ideals, have your dreams, but also know that whenever you have a choice, you will make that choice and don't fear that you can't ever change that route or change that, that trajectory, but know that, know that your gut also leads you, right? Your gut is something that um, if you can tune into it and you can listen to it, might reveal things to you that you consciously may not have known or thought about before. And so for me, when I think about impact now, I really love to be able to take a step back and identify that I have played a, a part in a, in a much bigger whole. And that is more satisfying to me than I could have anticipated when I was 22. Talking about the younger generation, not that you're old or anything like that, but I'm 23. You're not 23. Let's just, it's a fact. It's a fact. <laughs> when you talk about trusting your gut, listening to it, I struggle with it personally. And I assume a lot of people do that are in college or just out of college because there's social media, there's comparing yourself to others. There's a lot of things out there that are very loud and your gut is like a whisper. How do you tune into it and make sure you actually hear it? Such a good question. I think because I've historically always felt and heard my gut, it's, it's hard for me to describe it. But I think what I would advise and recommend when that gut is not as loud and when you have trouble hearing it and tuning in would be mainly two things. One is make a list, make a pro-con list. If you're, if you're having a decision to make, whether it's to take some, some job or to take some vacation or whatever decision you're trying to make, make a pro-con list. And as you're making that list, how do you feel about these things? Where are your pros falling? Where are your cons falling? But also realize that sometimes things on the pro list and things on the con list are not necessarily weighted the same, right? So be really realistic about what it is you're putting in each column. And when you put them in each column, think through each one of those things. Think through, is this a con for right now, for the next month, for the next year, or for the next 10 years? Or is it maybe a con that could turn into a pro in three years, right? Like think both short-term and also long-term about that. And I think in doing so, you might gain some more clarity. And whether it's clarity at an intellectual level or it's clarity on your gut level or it's both, you might be able to arrive at an answer um, more easily than without doing so. 
And the second thing I would say is take a walk without your phone, without anything distracting you. And don't force yourself necessarily to think about the task at hand. Just try to clear your head. I think especially for me in COVID, that's been an incredibly useful tool because being enclosed in a small apartment in Brooklyn, it's really hard to get space and to get that clarity. And I think that, like you said, there's so much inundating us right now when when it comes to um, social media and just the media in general. being able to clear your head through a walk, I think really sounds so lame and really simplistic, but incredibly effective. And it doesn't necessarily have to be just a walk. It could be a drive where you just sit and drive off to the the closest field or I don't know, whatever is close to you in New York. I don't think you're going to find a field for a couple hours, but definitely <laughs> a drive, a walk, a, a run. It could be literally anything. A drive, a walk, a run, meditation. I Meditation has changed my life. That is a conversation maybe for a different time. To kind of backtrack a little bit, you gave us where you've worked over the past couple of years, but I want to go on a micro level because you went on very surface level. I want to ask a little bit deeper from a little bit after your first job and then into the Rainforest Fund. Both of them focus on global affairs in terms of either ethics or indigenous people, as you were talking about, and protecting their environment. Did something happen in your life that forced you or pushed you to create a career based on those ideals? Yes, it did. Uh, So I grew up in a family of attorneys, but most impactful in my life was my grandfather. He was an attorney by day, but he spent all of his free time trying to reframe, rework, reconstitute the voting system of the United Nations. He worked with nonprofits. Um, Center for Global Solutions was the most um, recent one. And it was his passion to ensure that countries around the world, not just the countries that sit on the Security Council and the hegemons of the world have the most voice and the most power, but to make sure that all countries of the world have have equal power. And I went with him on some of these meetings. I he When he visited me in Copenhagen, I went with him to the Danish Foreign Ministry and was his secretary. And it is in my DNA to always be thinking about the people whose voices aren't heard and what it what is the responsibility of the people who do have voices who do have power who do have platforms to lift those other individuals countries communities up so that is a short answer i think the other thing that has been crystallized in my mind really recently, and it's actually jarring to me that it wasn't so clear earlier, is my Jewish identity. Jews, as are many, many other ethnicities and religions of the world, are a, a minority population. And we have, in our history, our ancestors experienced a lot of adversity, right? And we have persevered nonetheless. So I don't consider myself a religious person. I do have a very strong Jewish identity. And I do think that that piece of me also plays a role in trying to make sure that I don't stay silent when there are injustices in the world. Those are two major aspects of your life that if they weren't happening or you'd never went with your grandfather to these conversations, these meetings, where would your life be? Have you ever thought about that? I have. I have thought about that. And I really, I, I couldn't tell you. I think those pieces of myself, of my identity are so strong that I, I, I wouldn't be who I am without them. So I don't know. I think, I think I was always so clear that I was going to, I needed to have impact. I probably thought I was going to work at a nonprofit uh, organization, but recently because I transitioned away from nonprofits and into sort of the startup world, I was like, is, 
is this who I am? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? This is a little bit of a break from that path that I set out for myself. And what I realized when we're talking about our gut and listening to our gut, what I realized is I'm still having the impact that I'm seeking to have, whether or not it's at a nonprofit or it's at a startup or it's at a corporation. You know, this is hearkening back to my philosophy days. Um, and I love it so much, this idea of um, form versus matter. The form being what institution am I working at? It probably doesn't really matter if the matter of what I'm doing is in line with my values and in line with the impact I want to have. So I think that was also very much a learning opportunity for me considering my most recent switch to working at Freewell in, in a different context. You're not going to go work for Apple because it's the biggest name brand. You're going to look at, ooh, I like what they're doing today. I like what they're planning to do. I don't even know what it's called, but I like their content. I'm going to go work there. That kind of idea? That's exactly right. I'm, I'm driven by not the name or the perception necessarily, but what is the mission, the fact, the fact I'm very mission driven, right? Nonprofits are mission driven. So is free will. Free will is a mission based company. It is a social venture. So that was a huge piece of why I chose to, to make the move. There are many other types of jobs that I've considered over the years, but the fact is, is that I never pursued them, you know, whether it was a corporate social responsibility job, which are wonderful jobs. Many people love them. They're doing amazing work, but I wasn't necessarily finding ones that I could fundamentally at the root of it, get behind the overarching goal of, of the, of the company. Your preferences would not have led you there. And that is sometimes the best information to have what you're not going to do versus what, what can I do? What should I do? Learning that that's not it. That's not me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Having an experience where you realize that this is not fulfilling my goals, I don't feel good doing this, is just as useful as having an experience that does fulfill all of those needs. It gets you closer to what it is that you want to be doing. Throughout your career, you've worked in fundraising, you've worked in grants, you've worked in a couple different places. But looking back, you got your Master's of Arts. Why? Did that necessarily help? with fundraising and things like that. And can you give me an example of where you actually used what you learned firsthand? Such a good question, Michael, you're on a roll. So I got my master's when I did because I was coming back from Copenhagen and I was looking for jobs and I was finding really two camps of roles. I was finding roles that I needed five years of experience or I needed a master's degree. And I didn't have either. So I thought I've always wanted to pursue further education. That was always a goal of mine. I love school. Um, it's an environment I operate really well in. I love the structure, very type A. So I thought, let's just come home and I'll get my master's and I'll be on a better trajectory to getting the types of jobs that I thought at the time I wanted to get. So my experience at the new school was incredible. It was a wonderful education. I <laughs> did not necessarily use the education on its merits in my career on an ongoing everyday basis. But I do fundamentally believe that the training I received at Muhlenberg and at the New School in terms of how to think, how to think through problems, how to address challenges, how to be creative, how to write, that is a key, key element to any successful career, are characteristics that I honed and that I do use every single day of my life. So despite the fact that the content is not necessarily something that I've needed to be an expert in in my everyday career. The training I received was and is something I use every single day. As to my knowledge, we are at present day. You're working for free will. You've kind of outlined a little bit of what you're doing previously. So there's one more question about your mindset that I'm curious about. Can you pinpoint a moment 
event or a piece of advice that changed your mindset or your perspective? Something my boss, my dear friend, someone I consider part of my family, my boss at Rainforest Fund, her name is Franca Shuto. She said to me one time, she is an incredible human. She is a international lawyer. She's worked for the UN for the, the European Union. She's a remarkable person. And she is very wise and has a lot of experience and said to me one time when we were focused on a challenge at Rainforest Fund, when we were trying to navigate the solution, she said, all we have to do is think about what is our mission. Go back to the fundamental core of what it is we're supposed to be doing, and we will find the answer there. And that has stuck with me. And I get chills just thinking about her saying that because it has been such a guiding force for me whenever I have a challenge or something I need to decide when, when we think about our gut. Think about what is your North Star? What is your North Star personally? What is also the role and the purpose of, of your company, your nonprofit? What is it that you're supposed to be doing? And if you ever have trouble figuring that out, those principles that quote unquote sort of raison d'etre will help you get to, get to that resolution, get to that answer. So I think that didn't necessarily change things for me, but it gave me so much clarity that I have been so grateful ever since to have had that and, and to always reflect on that when I am stuck. It's crazy you talk about the North Star. I have an internship with a company called Compass Point Consulting, and they help family businesses find their North Star. I've always heard them say it, but I've never heard it used outside of our meetings and things like that. And that just brought me back to like hearing them always mention it. And it's, it comes like full circle for me a little bit. <laughs> I love that so much. And I think I really wanted to make sure I shared in this conversation, Michael, is that I have not always known. I never set out from Muhlenberg knowing, or even when I was young, I never set out knowing what my career was going to be. I never knew the type of job I wanted to have or what that was going to look like. And I think for some people, especially for myself, that has sown a little bit of anxiety for me. I don't always know exactly where I'm going, but you don't necessarily need to know where you're going. You just need to know what it is you want to be doing. And for those people who do know what they want to do and have that clarity, that's incredible, wonderful. But for those of us who don't, um, just knowing that North Star, what it is you're after, what fills you up, make, what makes you satisfied, don't worry about the rest of it. Just be able to listen to that and, and, and try to find it. Um, sometimes it's harder than others. Coming full circle, I think that is a good point to kind of move on and go to the themed questions. The themed questions are focused on using different aspects of mythology. The first one is about Loki. I don't know if you've ever seen Thor or anything like that, but Loki is the trickster god, the god of mischief. And I want to play on that trickery a little bit. Can you tell me about a time you felt tricked or deceived into doing something or believing something? And what was the biggest takeaway? Wow. That's a great question. It's so interesting. I'm just trying to, oh my gosh, I don't know. Like it could be an ideal that they told you. It could be anything. <laughs> so it's very open. So the biggest thing that comes to mind with that question, Michael, is actually navigating my own misperceptions, and we could call those misperceptions trickery of yourself. When I graduated college and I was starry-eyed and idealistic and I wanted, at that point, I thought I wanted to become, you know, the most revered writer and researcher at the top think tank in the country. And I was going to write papers and do research that was going to influence the policies that the United States government was going to enact. That is something that I have not done. I am not on a path to doing those things. And the reason for that is because I, if we're going on this theme, was sort of tricking myself early on that that was going to be an 
maybe not easy, but a goal that was more attainable than I understood what was required to actually attain that type of goal. And what I realized over the course of the past years is not that I actually wanted to do those things. It is the ego that I had for myself about what type of perspective I wanted people to have of me, what I thought was respectable, what I thought was the path that my schooling, my passion, my drive were, was required. And so over the years, I have realized that that deception I really had that I put on myself, it's been difficult to get over. Being able to let go of some of the trickery I put on myself has enabled me to identify the priorities that I do have for my life and the things I want to focus on and the things I want to spend my time on instead of focusing on or forcing myself on a path to achieve a goal that I actually don't want to spend the time doing the things that are required to achieve that goal. So being realistic with yourself about where it is you want to be spending your time, I think is one of the greatest gifts you can actually do for yourself. Your brain tricked itself. Yep. Your brain has a lot of power. (laughs) Thinking about your career, we've heard a lot of things that you've learned and what you've done, but I want to look at a specific weakness. What has been your Achilles heel? That one thing that could have been the demise of your career. Yes. I just take everything so personally. I throw myself into my career, into my professional life. I think a lot of people do. I am surrounded by friends. By I think it's, it's very much something that I think Muhlenberg alums do from anyone I talk to, right? We are passionate individuals. And I think if I didn't reel that in a little bit over time, that that would be not only the demise of my career, but the demise of my own sanity, right? Being able to disconnect at the end of the day on the weekends from your daily grind is critical for your mental health and your stamina and just being able to be good at your job, being able to dissociate your own um, desires and your own perfectionism from what it takes to be successful is, is really critical. I definitely struggle with that similar Achilles heel. That's not mine, but taking things personally, I just, I want to make everyone happy. So yes, it's not good, but (laughs) (laughs) so the third one is based on a labyrinth. Has there ever been a time in your life where you just felt trapped, where you just couldn't figure out the way out or the way to the the prize, I guess you could say? Yes. Most recently, in the last year, when I started my new job at Freewell, early on, I realized that this was a whole lot more different than I anticipated it being. I thought making a shift into free will, into sales, was going to use a lot of the skills that I had honed as a fundraiser. I thought, you know, there's definitely going to be things to learn, but I'm well set up for this. It was a rude awakening. It was really, really tough. I was really feeling like I was in deep water. I didn't know how to do this job. I didn't know how to be good at it. And for me, having been, having felt like I was very successful in school, very successful as a fundraiser. I wasn't really enjoying that feeling. And the way I navigated through that labyrinth was through the support of my current boss, she's incredible, and the and the team. It's in such an such a supportive environment that I wasn't just left to flounder and fail on my own. I was given the coaching, I was given the resources, I was supported from the outside as much as I possibly could have been supported. And then what I realized when I was still not necessarily out of the labyrinth was that I was the one holding myself back, that I needed to stop feeling like I was inadequate. I needed to realize that I had the skills. I had everything I needed to succeed. It was only my confidence that was lacking. 
And once I was able to trick myself into having that confidence, I tricked myself enough to establish a baseline confidence. And I've now been at Free Will for over a year and I'm loving it. And it's a wonderful environment and I've learned so much. So I think that when I find myself in future labyrinths or for anyone listening, if you find yourself in a labyrinth, know that you have it within yourself to get out of it and also to ask for help when you need it. And if you're not getting it from a certain context in your life, know that there's something else. There's some other context, there's some other community that you can lean on to find your way out of it. The feeling of being trapped, it's very easy to just sit and wither for a lack of a better term. And that is what you can't do because you'll never get out. You'll get stuck. And sometimes you just have to reach out to your team or your boss or a, a friend, a family. You have to reach out to someone to say, hey, can you like help me navigate? Yep. You're likely not the only person in the world who's experienced that challenge. <laughs> so I want to wrap up the episode with a future question because we focused on a lot of the past and today and I know you can't predict the future but you're very type A as you said and you probably have a plan of the next month year I don't even know so if Thoth the Egyptian god of writing was creating your next chapter what would it be about I love that question. It would be about how I will figure out and navigate taking a next step in my career to not just be an individual contributor, but someone who also guides and manages others in a more official and formal role, formal way. Um, I have had really wonderful experiences being able to mentor others and also be mentored by my mentors. And I am so excited to potentially think more about that and have the opportunity to do that in my current role. I think I have a lot to offer as someone who is an individual contributor, who does my own work and, and um, does it well. But I, again, am always thinking about others and the impact that I can have. So I love the idea that I'm now at a point in my career and my experience that I feel like I have more to give to others who have, are coming up the queue now, so to speak. Um, not just working with, you know, external partners, but also, as I sort of said at the beginning of our conversation, also being able to help folks within my own um, network and on sort of the other side of the coin would be really something that I'm excited and passionate about doing. So I hope that that next chapter is not far away. Mentoring those internally out of the labyrinth that they're in, whether it's the same one you were in or whatever the labyrinth they're dealing with, maybe you can help them kind of nudge them in the right direction instead of letting them just sit in the corner and just wither. Exactly. I'm excited to hear what the next chapter is. Maybe we'll do this again after the next chapter's written. But I want to ask you two more final thought questions. If you could go back to before your quest started, what is one thing you would warn yourself about? I would warn myself about uncertainty. And I would mentally prepare myself for that uncertainty. And know that uncertainty is inevitable and that it is not something I have to view as negative. Uncertainty is actually where so much creativity and so much possibility can enter your life if you let it. And someone, again, who is type A, that scares me to no end. But I also credit my current job as helping me to have more patience and not just patience, but actually seek out some uncertainty, if I might even go that far. Because I think that when you are able to navigate your way through that, you see how strong and how capable you are. So I'd warn myself about uncertainty and, and warn myself that it's inevitable, but it's also 
very much a gift. You've talked about development professionally, personally, but I want to ask you a question based on strictly professional development. What is something you are doing today that you feel everyone should be doing? This could be read a specific author, watch something on Netflix, follow this account on Twitter. It can be anything that you're doing today. It sounds so cliche, but talk to people, network, use LinkedIn. It is so remarkable what you can do and find and learn when you connect with other people and you get out of your own bubble. I do that, but I could do it a thousand times better. And I am always trying to make space in my life, make space on my calendar to actually spend time networking, reading what other people are putting out there, right? Because when you stay in your own sound bubble, um, it's easy. It's easy to just reinforce your own thoughts and your own trajectories and getting, getting out there through other people's experiences and their learnings from those doing exactly what we're doing here. Listen, listen to Michael's podcast. (laughs) This I think is, is an incredible way to learn and grow and get insight that you might not otherwise get from, you know, watching Netflix. You can only learn so much from the classroom. You can only learn so much just from doing everything on your own, talking to someone and asking them whether it's the position you want in 10 years, or it's someone that you don't even want to relate to their career field. Ask them how they dealt with a struggle. Ask them how they got out of their labyrinth. You might be able to say, wait, I just went through that. So it's exciting. Exactly. This is, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on here. I met you through a friend and then we kind of became better acquainted through LinkedIn and other groups. But, um, This has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been such a pleasure. It's so exciting to see you progress on your journey. And I love the theme and all the questions. And I really enjoyed this and look forward to all of your future endeavors. Wow. Talking about impact, it might not have been exactly what she had hoped for while in college. But personally, I think she's made a lot of change and has helped tremendously throughout the world. But let me know what you thought. Rate and review on any of the streaming platforms you're listening on, and follow at CareerQuestPodcast on Instagram and LinkedIn. Make sure to subscribe for next week's episode.